the, the, the main purpose, what we have been seeing flowing through Ephesians 4 has been, uh, we can be summed up in, in one word for the church. And, and that is that the church may be unified. That there would be unity in the body of Christ. So if, if you've missed these last weeks uh, where we started chapter 4, um, know that the, it is talking about unity. That is the, the thrust of the passage. And, and then it tells us, it doesn't just say be unified. It actually tells us what unity looks like as well as what we unify in. So in verses 1 through 6, we covered three things that tell us what our unity is to be in. Right? First, it is our calling. Right? We have been called by God. And if we have been called by God into marvelous light from spiritual darkness and into light, then we all share that same calling. That is like the biggest thing that we have in common. Not just that we are humans, but we were all in need of that grace. And by God's grace and by His mercy, those who are in the church, those who are in Christ, we have been given the same calling. We've also been given the same conduct. We've also been given the same conduct, a conduct that, that looks like Christ, a humility, a gentleness, a patience, a bearing with one another in, in love. And finally, that third thing is we have been given the same creed, the, the, one, the one doctrine, the one belief, the one body, the one spirit, the one hope, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, the one God, and one Father. And then he continues to say is that, that in that unity, I have, I have given you a diversity. I have, I have given you a diversity of gifts and roles and positions given to you in the church that you may achieve that unity. And of course, verse 12, and what we're going to talk about today, tells us more of what that uh, achieves. Those gifts that we have been given by His grace. He has sovereignly, providentially given us gifts. And those gifts we are, we are called to, to put into action, to, to exercise, to co- cultivate, to use amongst the body of Christ. And he does all this so that the church would be equipped. That the church would be equipped for every good work. Every good work of the, of the ministry. For the work of the ministry and for the, for the building up of the body of Christ. We have been given these gifts. So here we are. We are now up to verse 13 from the gifts and from the roles that we have been giving to achieve this, uh, this unity in the saints, the equipping of the saints, the working of ministry, and the building up the body of Christ, we have also now what we see is what it accomplishes, and that is gospel-centered maturity. Gospel-centered maturity. And that is going to be the thrust of our passage today. And so my hope and my goal is that as we encounter the Scripture together, that we all each would be, would be encouraged on what real gospel growth accomplishes amongst us, and and that is namely maturity. And then when we gain maturity, we will will go after obedience. We will pursue holiness. We'll make Christ our treasure and our desire. And we will leave everything else that this world has to offer, and we will press more into the work of the ministry, work of the ministry of, of the church. So that's our goal this morning, is to look at maturity. Now we are told 
We are told to take care of our bodies physically, right? You go to the doctor, you watch TV, whatever it is. It is all about take care of yourself, eat healthy, exercise. And we know that because generally speaking, if we take care of ourselves in a, in a health manner, what we eat, and, and, and if we exercise, generally we will see longer life. That's not always the case. But generally speaking, we will see longer life and a more healthy life and a more happy life because we won't be in as much pain. Our bodies will not give out prematurely. And sometimes we, we get that from the doctor, right? All right, you need to do this. You need to do that. And, and when we're told by the doctor to do those things, we don't necessarily do them so that next time we come back to the doctor, the doctor will give us an attaboy. But we do those things because we want to be healthy. We want to be fit. We want to last. We want our bodies to, to, to last. And so if we want a healthy body in the church, there are also healthy things exercises in which we must take. When we take our kids to the doctor, we generally, most of the time, we're taking them there not because they are sick, because they're hurt or something like that. We're we're taking them there because it's their scheduled appointments. And the younger they are, the more of those scheduled appointments they have or the more frequency of those appointments. And the reason why is they want to check on them. They want to make sure that they're, they're growing, make sure that their head is the right size, make sure that they are, uh, uh, you know, ev- everything's functioning properly, maybe even a little, little analyzation of their, their speech patterns and things like that. They want to make sure that they are growing up healthy, right? And, and generally, by God's mercy, if, if a child is, you know, fed and well taken care of and, and, and loved, then they're growing up. They are, they are growing up. And in the same ways, this passage has been telling us these things as a church, what it means or what it looks like to be a healthy church. And that is to be unified. And we also see here to, today, digging a little bit deeper, a prescription of what maturity, how, how maturity is achieved. And what maturity looks, looks like. That, that's, what, uh, that's what we are going to be getting at today in this is, is this passage. So what I, what I don't want us to do is when we look at this passage today, I don't want us to feel as if we're at the doctor's office. And we know that the doctor is going to get onto us because we haven't been working out. Or the doctor is going to get onto us because uh, uh, we haven't been eating properly and so therefore our, our cholesterol is through the roof or whatever it may, may be. Or maybe you may not understand that, but you understand going to the dentist and the dentist asks you if you've been flossing. You know that feeling? Right? That's not the feeling we, we want today. My hope is through the scripture is that we will be encouraged to pursue, pursue maturity and to a maturity to manhood, right? To a mature manhood is what it, what it says here. Let's, let's start in verse 13 together. So verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry of building up the church, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes, rather speaking truth and love. 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love to maturity. Specifically to mature manhood. When, when I was young, when I was just a wee little lad, I looked up to men and I wanted to be like them. I wanted to, I wanted to grow up. I wanted to be, to be a man. I wanted to be like, I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be of, of that integrity. I wanted to be that strong. I wanted to work that hard. I wanted to be all of those things that, that, that he was. But I was a kid. I was a child. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be all those things. I tried. Right? I tried to put my dad's boots on. I tried to wear his belt. I tried to put his hat on. I tried to wear his shirt. I tried to act like him, but, but I was still a boy. I was still a boy. And I'm, and I'm thankful that my dad still looked at me as a boy, as a child. And he didn't treat me like a man just because I wanted to be like one. He had enough sense about him to treat me like a, like a, like a boy until I grew up physically and emotionally and logically. And when, I, when he realized he can trust me more, he would give me more responsibility because that's what it means to be a man. That's what it means to, to, to grow up into mature manhood. Now, our culture has created this new category uh, over, I think it's probably the last 50 years or so, maybe more, uh, called adolescence. And it's a way that psychologists and sociologists have been able to explain and give parents an excuse and teachers and schools excuse to explain the behavior of teenagers. Right? And what we have seen is, is now we've seen now today that adolescence is not just extended to your 18 years old, but now adolescence is extended to your 24 years old. They're extending it to, to 24 years old because, because what they're seeing is they're seeing that men, and now even some ladies, they're not growing up. They're not growing up into mature manhood. They're just boys who can shave. They may think they're a man, but they're just boys who can shave. They're the, they're the ones that we, uh, we stereotype as the ones who are living in their mom's basement paying, playing Call of Duty. That, that, that's what this is. But we have been called, as we are supposed to, and we, we see something wrong there, by the way. I'm going to go back to that. We see something wrong there. And those who are maturing, and those who are mature into manhood, we look at those pathetic boys and we're just like, you're pathetic. And there's nothing kind of more sad than a, than a man who does not live up to his potential. And in the same way, we are called to grow up spiritually into mature manhood. Now, thank goodness we haven't created any kind of categories called adolescence in the church. But we certainly have tolerated the same things. We've tolerated immaturity on, on, on levels that are unheard of. We've become so comfortable in, in our immaturity that we don't even know it. In our passage this morning... That unity, that unity in the church 
using gifts, equipping one another, working and encouraging and building up the church in love attains maturity. Maturity spiritually is, is when we become more like Christ. It's when we become a little bit more like Christ. When we are born into this world, such as Katerina is, I don't expect her to be able to put her, put her shoes on. I don't expect her to be able to pick up a fork and eat. I don't expect her to be able to buckle herself up or do all those things or, or any of those things. Why? Because she's a baby. So if, we, if you are new in Christ, then you're a baby. Then, then infancy is what's to be expected. But we are also expected to grow. Because if we were to take Katarina to the doctor and the doctor said, Katarina's not growing. Something is wrong. She's not gaining weight. Something's wrong. She's not growing into what a baby should look like at that age. There's something wrong. And spiritually, we should be growing. We should be growing as we are born again, made anew, growing to, to mature in maturity. And what we're going to see in this passage this morning is maturing it looks like Christ-likeness. We are maturing in our doctrine. We are maturing in our humility. And we are maturing in our unity. Maturing in our Christ-likeness, our doctrine, our humility, and our unity. In verse 13, we see there, the goal of maturity is to measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we saw that in the prayer. Remember the prayer in, in, in chapter 3? And we may be immersed, we believe, maybe we take hold of the fullness of God, understand the fullness of God and the love of Christ. This is maturity. And maturity for a believer, first and foremost, is measured by Christ-likeness what we look like, how we project and look like little Christs walking around, to become like Christ, to be Christ-like. And that is the measure, the criteria of what it looks like to be maturing, to be growing. All who are in Christ are to be, be growing in Christ-likeness. Jesus is our standard. Jesus is our standard of, of, of holiness. And, and each of us are to be growing by that measure of holiness that Jesus has set before us. So our measure is Jesus and not one another. So therefore, we're, we're completely disarmed in saying, at least I'm better than that guy. At least I don't do things like, like that person or that girl. I don't talk like her. I don't act like her. We don't, we don't get to say that. That's not what mature people do. Mature people look to Christ as the measure of their holiness, the measure of their maturity in Christ-likeness. It's to look more like our Savior. To look more like Him. So what does He look like? Well, we're just, just going back a few verses. Look back at verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Right here, we have, we have a, a small picture of what Jesus looks like. He's humble, gentle, patient, loving, peaceful. This is, this is what we are to long for. This is our goal and to pursue is Christ-likeness, to look like Him. And this looking like Him does not occur by osmosis. It doesn't occur over, overnight. Christ-likeness, holiness, sanctification happens by the work of the Spirit, by, by taking the Word of God and applying it to our, to our lives, to exercising faith and, and, and the gifts, by, by hating sin, by confessing and repenting of sin, by immersing ourselves in the community of faith. This is how we pursue Christ-likeness. And then over time... Over time, brothers and sisters, that will become more and more evident of our Christ-likeness. It will become more and more obvious, not only to you, but those who are around you. And if you're part of an encouraging body of Christ, then we will encourage one another. We will point that out. We will show the Christ-likeness in your life. We'll call that evidences of grace on how to honor them, how Jesus is working in them, and how you look more like Jesus. Become more and more obvious. So maturity, maturity must look like Christ. Maturity must look like Christ. Our second thing is that maturing in Christ, our maturing in the church is maturing in our doctrine. Is maturing in our doctrine and maturing in truth. And some of you are like, man, we've got to hear about doctrine again. Yes, always. It's what we live by. It's who we are. Verse 13 tells us, it says, until we obtain the unity of the faith, that's the one faith, the thing, what we believe. It's what we believe. It's our doctrine. The one faith into the knowledge of the Son of God. You'll find in many places, and sadly enough, including the church, there is a, there is a quickness to take that word, doctrine, and, and just throw it out. Because they believe that it divides. But what we have clearly seen over these weeks, and including today, is doctrine is what unifies us. It's our creed. It's who we are. It's what we believe. It's what we confess. It doesn't divide. It's what unifies us. To take your doctrine, to take your belief is like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's like getting rid of what matters most. It's what unifies us. And isn't this what Paul prayed for the church in, in chapter 1 and in chapter 3? Not only that we would have the understanding of the fullness of, of, the, of God through the love of Christ, but also but also that we may have the knowledge of the Son of God. This is a, this is a lifetime pursuit. This isn't something that we, we check off, kind of like when we go through 10th grade. I've learned environmental science, 
Now it's time to go to biology or chemistry. I've learned those things. Now let me go to something else. This is something we will never graduate from. We will never exhaust the knowledge of God. You will never exhaust. You'll never get to the end of that trail. 10,000 lifetimes could never grasp the, the knowledge of the Son of God. And yet it doesn't lead us into a believing that it's just a helpless pursuit, but it leaves us longing for more. And leaves us wanting more because it's a never-ending treasure of joy. It's a never-ending treasure of joy. Can you think of anything else in this world that is of a higher degree that you could pursue? There's a reason in academia, those who graduate in theology wear a red tassel. Because it is the highest of all things you can study. It's the highest. You, you cannot pursue anything else in this life that's greater than knowing God. Can you think of anything higher than Him? Nothing. Then if there's nothing else that's higher than to stop pursuing the small things and go after Him. And then when you have to go after those small things like biology and accounting and, and engineering and, and all of those things and teaching students, whatever it may be, see God in all of it. See God's glorious, beautiful design in all of those things and go after Him. J.I. Packer puts it like this in his book, Knowing God. He says, Knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives as it would be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him to London, put him down without explanation in Telflagger Square, and leave him. As one who knew nothing of English or England to fend of himself, so we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life. It is a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you will be sentenced and you will sentence yourself to stumble and blunder throughout life blindfolded. As it were, with no sense, no direction, and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. There are so many vain pursuits. I'm not, I'm not saying everything is worthless. I'm not saying everything is, forget everything and just go after God. Because then we would be guilty of the Thessalonian church. We don't want to do that. But we sure pursue things that are useless. And, and God, knowing Him, is sacrificed at the altar of our entertainment and our comfort. Oh, how much TV we watch. Oh, how much many video games we watch. How we're so titillated by this world. And yet in such vain pursuit, we, we give God an hour, maybe two on Sunday, depending how long Ben preaches. We need to know God. The church is dying because they don't know God. Doesn't that quote ring true of, of, of our lives and experience? Added control? Stumbling, bumbling, blindfold, of no sense of direction of what understands around you? Pursue God. 
Go after the, the highest of all realities. And in verse 14 tells us the consequences of this, of, of which we should know very well. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. I love taking my children to the beach because I loved going to the beach. And I love seeing them play in the surf because I love to play in the surf. But there's nothing more scary for a parent but to watch their child get knocked over by a wave and you don't see them come up for a few seconds. Brothers and sisters, when we are not knowing God, you are that child being tossed to and fro sucking in the salt water of this world, thinking that it's going to be the air that you need to survive. And the consequence here is we are not to be children anymore. Right? It's, not a, it's not a bad thing, right? Remember we talked about that, to be reborn and birthed into Christ. You're going to be a child, but you just can't stay there. Don't, don't stay there. You're going to be tossed to and fro by, by, by the waves means you're, you're never satisfied. Means means you're, you're tossed by every circumstance of this life. You're, you're actually worried about politics right now. That's being tossed to and fro by the world. You're actually worried about that. Brothers and sisters, the New, the New Testament church, the early church, did not worry about what, who was in charge of Rome. And they didn't even get to vote. Hey, Pressed in the Christ. Don't be tossed to and fro by this world. Don't be driven by everything else. Be driven by the knowledge of the Son of God. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrines. That means whatever sounds right must be biblical. Whatever sounds right must be, must be biblical. Whoever is the most appealing, whoever has the, the best personality, whoever has the biggest church, the best music, whatever it may be, that's who I'm going to go after. That's every wind of doctrine. And if there's something that history has taught us, and by the way, we are guilty of not knowing our history, it's one thing that church history has taught us, is that there's no shortage of heresies for weak Christians to believe. There's no shortage. And there's no shortage of, of those fiery darts that the evil one fires at us using human cunning. Craftiness, wily, artful, guileful, devious, sly, scheming, designing, calculating, Machiavellian, shrewd, astute, clever, canny, deceitful, deceptive, duplicious, foxy. Is there any more? There's a reason why we protect our children. Why we, why we protect our children as best as we can from this world because, because there are those out there who are trying to, to destroy them. There are predators out there and there are predators there to destroy you for their own selfish gain. And then what we see the craftiness, deceitful schemes is the evil one. The evil one. Like a prowling lion looking to devour. And this is how he is working to subvert the, the work of the church, to get your eyes off what the Lord is doing. We must be mature in our doctrine. We must be sound in our doctrine. Knowing God and having obtained a knowledge of the Son of God, it transforms, it renews, it reforms a person completely. 
And it's the knowledge that we, we continue to go after to want more. We want to be renewed by it. Weak theology makes weak Christians. Weak Christians mean weak men. Weak Christians means weak women. And if there's weak men and there's weak men and women, then there are weak and failing churches. We must hold high to the truth. We must never forsake it. We must never soften its edges or, or forget it. It is our doctrine that anchors our faith to the Son of God so that when, when the wind blows, as it will, and when the seas rage against our, our, our lives, we know to fix our eyes upon the Savior because we have tasted and seen that He is good and He is a great rescuer every time. So have you tasted? Have you seen that the Lord is good? Is the only time you are, you are dabbling into the food of the Word of God only Sundays? Oh, brothers and sisters, may I, may I implore you to get in the Word. And when you get into the Word, dig, dig deeper. Pick up good books and read. You have been given such a great gift in this country to know how to read. Read. Know God. Drink more of it. Pick up something like knowing God to whet your appetite to know God. We are to mature in our doctrine. That is why we hold doctrines of such high esteem here. And if you can't start with knowing God, start with the statement of faith that we passed out. I have a couple more copies. Start with that. Read. Know God. We are maturing in our humility. Verse 15. So rather, rather than continuing in an immaturity that looks like children, and by the way, there's, nothing, there's also, not, like I said about the, the men, there's nothing more pathetic than a man who, who still acts like a child. I mean, there's nothing more pathetic than someone who looks like they should be grown up and they're not. So, so rather than, than being immature and continuing in immaturity like a child, we are to grow up. I use the illustration for the students is, is don't be the 50-year-old guy playing in the people with the kids. Grow up. Go on the water slide. All right? We want to grow up. So we don't want to be like children. We want to, we want to grow up. Grow up in our Christ-centeredness, this God-glorifying doctrine. And when we get into that doctrine, when we get into knowing the Son of God, it humiliates us. It humbles us. Maybe humiliates a little negative. It humbles us. Because it continually puts us in our, our place of, of who we are and how marvelously we are in need of His grace. And when we are maturing and we are humble, then we are able to speak truth in love. So rather, grow up speaking truth in love. What does this mean? That means in the church, it's going to be necessary that we speak truth in love to one another. And we, we need to hear the truth. When we see a brother or sister who's strayed away from the truth, we lovingly pursue them and correct them. When you see that, that's your responsibility as a member of the church. 
But if we attempt to correct someone, not in love, then the truth that we might be correcting them in, we have completely forgotten. Because truth always humbles us to love them. And vice versa. If we try to love someone by denying the truth and not telling them the truth, then you are not loving. In fact, it shows more of a, more of a, a hate for them. And it's guised in this false humility. You see, see children, children don't do that, do they? Ch- children don't, don't do that. They only know how to act like children. They only know how to complain and gossip and scheme until they get their way or, or yell out really loud when they don't get their way. But the mature, the mature don't buckle under that kind of stress. The mature remain calm and patient and humble and gentle, knowing how to bear with that weaker brother or sister in love. Still eager to maintain the this, this spirit of unity and the bond of peace and speaking truth and, and, and love, they're mature. They know how to handle it. Humility is what happens when we understand the truth. When we understand, we, we're, not, we're not prideful in our doctrine. And by the way, we're going to be set up as that. As a church, we're going to be set up before other people as you're just prideful because you, you think you're smarter than everybody else because you want to pursue these higher doctrinal things. Paul was accused of stuff like that. Did you know that? We're going to be accused of that. They're going to call us uppity and prideful because we love the Word of God. My hope for us here at here at Sovereign Grace is, is that we will be known in the community. It may not like us, I don't know, but, but we may be known in the community that, number one, we love the truth. We're not afraid of it. And that none of us will be afraid of it. We'll be humble enough to receive it. We talked about it on the Wednesday. Humble enough to receive the truth. We, we love the truth. We always want the truth. And number two, that we will love one another like family. We will love one another like family and we will love our neighbors as we as, uh, as we love ourselves. Can we go wrong with that? Okay, can, we, can we go wrong with isn't that? Isn't that maturity? A humility to love the truth, the humility to, to love one another as we love ourselves? Greatest commandment. Maturity in our Christ-likeness, maturity in our doctrine, and maturity in our unity. We are to be mature in our unity. In Christ, we, 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 we grow together. We grow together. And what we see in, in, in the end of verse 15 and in verse 16 is what we see here is that the, the child does not grow into the head. But those who are maturing are growing into the head, into the, into the body. And those who are not, those who are separated from the body, will wither away and eventually die. See, a person who's, who's indifferent or not really pressed into the church and not really getting into community, they may be able, have to, may be able to pursue Christ-likeness and they may understand doctrine and they may believe those things and they still may be humble, but there's still a massive piece missing if they are not unified to the church. If they're not together in the church. 
Because every member of the body is to be connected together in such a way that the work of the ministry and the building up of the church can happen. That every single one of us is necessary. So that when one of us is not here, we feel it. We feel it. It hurts. My toe is not here. My foot's not here. My knee is not here. It hurts. Being joined together under our head, our Christ, we're dependent upon our upon our upon our head. Each body part is not separate. They all have their unique task, but the one unique particular task is to serve one purpose. The purpose and will of the head. So the goal of unity, right? So we're kind of capstoning, bookending, I mean, bookending from the beginning we talked about church unity, and now at the end we're talking about church unity. The goal of unity, when each part is working properly, the body is going to grow. When each part is working properly, the body will grow. Some of y'all know this by personal experience. When there's something wrong with your body, you're not going to grow. It's like your whole life is on hold. Some of you got colds when you get sick. When the whole body is working properly and we're unified in these things, in our calling, in our conduct, in our creed, and we're exercising our, our gifts and we're maturing in Christ, we will, we will grow. That's growth. That's, that's, that's real church growth. Real church growth is us growing in our Christ-likeness, growing in our humility, growing in our, our, our doctrine, our knowledge of the Son of God. We will let the numbers thing be up to the one who gives ad, who adds to the church, the one who brings people. That's the Lord. The Lord puts people in your life, then praise be the God. You can share the gospel with them. You can invite them to church. But the Lord is the one who, who does the work. The Lord will grow. The Lord will build it up. You know another thing that I see in this? I'm going to take a sip real quick. Another thing that I see in this passage is that the church is God's imperfect, perfect strategy. Let me say that again. The church is God's imperfect, perfect strategy. Perfect because it's God's plan and God is always right. But we're the imperfect. And yet God in his sovereign goodness ordained it that way that we would be used. We are his imperfect, perfect strategy. It is God's plan. It is his program. It is his strategy on how he desires to bring glory to his name through his church. How he has willed salvation to go into the world through his church. We are plan A. And God doesn't need a plan B. God doesn't have a plan B. We're it. 
And he will not fail to accomplish what he wills. He will not fail at accomplishing building his church and uniting his church and seeing people redeemed and born again. God will do that. God will sanctify. God will not fail at building you up. God will not fail at maturing you. God will not fail at these things. Where we might think to, to give up and we might think that this is just a waste of time and where we may think that it's never going to happen, God does not. He doesn't quit. As he says, Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to, day, to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. For what he started, he will complete. He hasn't bailed. He is sanctifying his church. He's maturing his church. He's maturing you. He's maturing me. And it is by the power of the gospel that he, that he has created this, this whole new people. There wasn't a people here. Eleven months ago, there was no one here except for people that wanted to meet with their family members to eat chicken and give presents to one another. And now there's a people. There's a, there's a people, a people of God, those who were once wandering, those who once were far away, those who were alienated. God is now brought near and He's making us into a people into a church, a church that's maturing, a church that's being sanctified. Piper said it like this to the church. He said, the church is God-exalting, Christ-admiring, Spirit-filled, Bible-enjoying, grace-preaching, convenience-defying, cross-embracing, risk-taking, selfishness-crucifying, gossip silencing, prayers saturated, future thinking, outward reaching, and beautifully human congregations where the undeserved can thrive. That's what I want. I wish I could have said it like that. All I did was take a great adjectives and put them all together and describe the church. I wish I was... That's, that's awesome. That's what we should desire here. Don't worry about the little things. God will deal with the little things. You just eat and mature. You, you feast on the food that God has given you. Pursue Christ-likeness and holiness like never before. Let us equip you for the work of the ministry so that the building of the church can be happening. Maturity in Christ is hard. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes time to sit down with a book written by A.W. Pink and read it. It takes time. It's hard work. It's like plowing a garden sometimes. It's like pulling thorns and thistles and weeds out of the garden. It's tough. It's so much easier to push the clicker on the TV or to look at our phones on Facebook. It's so much easier. It's so much easier for me. Where it's hard where it's difficult, oh, fix your eyes on the Savior. Fix your eyes on, on Him. Look, look to Him because when it seems impossible, when we fix our eyes on Him, we will just keep going. And we won't give up and we won't quit because, because we know at the end there is a prize like no other. A glorious inheritance of the Son of God. Don't be... Don't be so intrigued by the prizes of this world. 
And we watched the Olympics last night, the first time watching it. And amazingly, watched two swim teams, American men's and women's, both swim the same race, but just one's for men's and one's for women's. Surprisingly, they actually still allow a men's team and a women's team. Isn't that intriguing to you all? And, and, and the American team took gold in both. I mean, just overwhelmingly. I mean, it, sometimes it's hard to be proud to be American these days, but that was awesome. That's like red, white, and blue, man. That's what we do. We win. That wasn't some kind of political ploy there, but but they've got their medals. They won gold. And there's glory in that, right? I mean, we cheered. We, we got excited. We don't really watch swimming. But every four years that it comes around, we, we'll watch it. And they're running. And we got a little antsy. Ben and I even kind of leaned up on the couch a little bit as we were watching this TV. We kind of leaned up because it got a little close. When Phelps got in the water, man, it, boom, he got on. And we, we got excited. There's a, there's a glory there. But guess what? In, a, in like three days, we're not going to be talking about Michael Phelps anymore. We might be talking about Usain Bolt. But we're not talking about Michael Phelps anymore. Why? Because it is a glory that only lasts now. But we have, given, we have been given and shown a glory that is eternal. A glory that, that, that overwhelms and blows away even the brightest of sunshine that makes the Grand Canyon look small and teeny and puny like an ant. It makes those glories very small. We have been given a glorious inheritance. So when it seems hard, when it seems like we just can't do it, look to the Savior. For I am his, and he is mine. Over these months, we've, we've definitely seen some maturity. And, and it's, been a, it's been a joy. I know at least when, we, when, when we've met as elders, and we've, we kind of take some time sometimes to do that, just to point out what we see as the evidences of God's grace in each other's lives. And a lot of times it just kind of happens as we're in a conversation. And, and we're just so thankful. And some of y'all know that. Like you're, you're not only learning things, but you're delighting in things that you've never delighted in before. That's maturity taking place. That's, that's growing up. And, and some of y'all are, are already grown up. Some of y'all were growing up before we even started. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not maturing. And praise the Lord, maybe you, you realize that right now. Let, let me just kind of pastor you for a moment. A, a, good, a good parent usually only asks or require their kids and their maturity just one or two steps at a time. We, we only ask them to learn how to put their shoes on before we ask them to tie them, right? We only do things one step at a time. and We're not asking a hundred steps. You don't need to jump to the moon today. Maybe there's a few steps you could take today. I think that's all the Lord's asking. To mature. To grow up. To take the steps in the, the right direction. To, to walk in that manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 
to take those steps toward Christ's likeness and to be delight in good, solid, deep doctrine, to be humble, to press into, into unity. And he's provided for those steps. He's provided in those ways. Lean in. Read, read your scriptures. Read the Bible. Plead to the Lord to give you a delight and desire to do these things. Maturity. Maturity is what's going to achieve unity as well as it's also the marker of a unified church. If there's only one or two of us in this church that are maturing, then we're going to definitely struggle with unity, aren't we? Because we're not going to know our creeds. We're definitely not going to cherish our callings together. Conduct is going to be sketchy. So let's mature. Let's mature in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to delight in the Savior this morning. Help us to take just one step. Those who, all of us need to just take one step in the, right, in the direction of, of Christ to gaze our eyes and our fix at Him right now. To see our Savior so that we can be like Him. Help us, O oh Father, to be a church that loves the truth because the truth is about You. It is you. Let's be humble. <coughs> humble because it looks like our Savior. Humble because it's what the truth has done. Yet let us speak humbly and truthfully in love. Continue to unify us. Thank you. Help us to see the beauty of this imperfect, perfect strategy in us. We, may, we, we don't know what the, what the future holds. We, we, we don't know those things, oh Lord, but we know now. We know what your will is now. Help us to be faithful. Help us to feed correctly and rightly, exercise rightly our gifts that, oh, Jesus, you would be glorified and you would be made much of and you would receive all the glory because you alone are worthy. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.